0: In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to another edition of Moving Forward. Today, my guest is Jacob Morgan. Jacob is an author, speaker, podcaster, and futurist, and the co-founder of the Future at Work community. Jacob, thank you for being here today. I'm really excited to talk to you.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: So let's start at the beginning. I have to ask you, how do you define a futurist?
0: Um, you know, there are a lot of different ways and a lot of different definitions that I have seen and heard that have been floating around the web. But for me, it's, it's rather simple. Um, so my job and par- part of what I do is to look at what the future can look like in order to help organizations understand what they should be doing today. And, and my focus is, is a little bit more on the workplace. So essentially, what I do is I Um, Try to examine what the workplace of the future is going to look like and then give advice to organizations today for what they should be doing to get to that future state. Um, I know there's a lot of misconceptions around futurists that predict things. It's not my intention or it's not um, you know the, the goal or the role of a futurist to predict anything. Mm-hmm. It's to look at trends. It's to observe what's going on in the world and to sort of kind of extrapolate that to what some potential outcomes of that might look like. Now, I'm fortunate in the fact that uh, I run something called the Future of Work Community. So you know, we have around 70 global brands there from around the world. These are senior level executives. And I can participate in these conversations with them to see what they're doing, what they're thinking about, um, what they're investing in. And I also have my own podcast where I speak with these executives. So all of that kind of formulates my thinking around what the workplace of the future is going to look like. And that's ultimately what I share with people.
1: Okay. And so how did you become a futurist?
0: Wow. You know, I don't think there's um, training or anything. You know, there's that's certain,
1: why I there's ask, certain- right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, there are certain models that futurists use in certain frameworks out there that exist to help you kind of think through different scenarios. But to be honest, I don't think um, there's anything preventing anybody from listening to this to saying, oh, I'm a futurist, right? I mean, it's right. one of those things that anybody can kind of say that they are or that they do. Um, so there's no kind of limiting barrier there's no degree there's nothing like that it's kind of more of a personal association in what you identify with and if this is something that you do um then i think you can go ahead and uh, attribute that title to yourself
1: okay so let's break some of this down so i wanted to ask you what does the future of work look like for you what are some of your predictions as to what's going to happen and also, kind of wrapped up within that, when you are advising people, when you're making considerations for your clients, what factors are you looking at? Are you only looking at profitability? Are you looking at happiness of employees? What kind of goes into the whole shebang?
0: So, the future of work is obviously a very big topic, and there's a, there's a lot that that can be broken down into. We look at management. There's leadership. There is the organizational structure. There's technology. I mean, there are a lot of different things that are part of the future of work. Um, so it, it's hard to say what the big picture future of work looks like. I mean, there's certainly things that we're seeing. Uh, we're definitely seeing workplace flexibility. We're definitely seeing the um, emergence of robots and automation. We're definitely seeing a new type and generation of worker, integration of new technologies. Uh, for me, the big focus if I had to wrap this up in two words, it is employee experience. It's how do we design and create organizations where people want to show up, not where they need to show up. That's where I'm spending all my time. And that's ultimately where I think all of these things wrap up into designing that organization where people want to show up. So for me, the future of work is all about organizations focusing on designing and creating those employee experiences. And that means things like getting rid of annual reviews, reevaluating your organizational structure, redefining what it means to be a manager or a leader, um, using new relevant technologies, redesigning the physical workspace, um, considering what your corporate culture looks like. So all of that stuff fits into this idea of employee experience.
1: That's pretty broad. So you mentioned something that kind of caught my attention. It was the type of worker. Can you dive a little bit into that? Because I think you mean millennials and how they are, you know, coming into the the workforce or have been in the workforce. Is that what you were talking about? And can you address that a little bit?
0: Sure, there are multiple types of workers. Uh, you know, depending on the industry, there are of course different uh, ages that we deal with. Whether it's a millennial, whether it's a Gen X, Gen Z. So we definitely have different ages that are that are in the workplace as well. Uh, we also have different types of workers. We have knowledge workers. We have people that are working on front end. We have people that are in manufacturing. So depending on the function or the role that you're in, your job's going to be affected differently. Uh, for example, whether you're in HR versus IT, right? Sure. So you're if you're in HR, your future of work is going to look a little bit different than um, what your future would look like if you are in IT just because your functions are so different. So, as you said, it is very broad. The future of work is, in fact, so broad that it's almost synonymous with kind of like saying, well, what is the future of the world going to look like? What's the future of life? Um it's very, very broad, right? What is What is the future? What's the world going to look like in 10 years, right? But that is such a huge topic. There are so many components and pieces that fit into that. Um, That's oftentimes how I feel around the future of work. There's so much that goes into that.
1: Okay. Well, what's your favorite part of what you do? Is it working directly with people? Is it figuring out the technology that's emerging? Is it breaking down organizational structure and rebuilding it? What lights you up about what you do?
0: Oh, man, I have so many fun things that, you know, when you go off on your own to do your own thing, uh, you pretty much get to focus on a lot of the fun things that you enjoy. So part of what I love doing is the speaking engagements. I probably do around 30, 40 events a year. Uh, I get to travel the world and speak with executives, speak at large conferences and events, some small events as well. And not only do I get to share ideas with people, but I also get to learn a lot from them. You know, people will always come up to me, they'll engage in conversations, they'll ask me questions. So I really, really love that part. Uh, the second part I love is creating content. You know, I love podcasting, I love writing, I love um, doing videos. I really love creating that that content. That's a lot of fun for me. And I love the community that I help run because, yeah. um, you know, the people are great. I love hosting these events. I think it all comes down to the people and just being around people and being in front of people. I love that aspect.
1: Very cool. Well, speaking of people and speaking of talent, so what do you think is the biggest mistake that companies make with regard to their talent?
0: Assuming that the talent that we are talking about today is the same talent that we've been talking about for the past 10, 20, 50, 100 years. Uh, most organizations, I think, or most people, most HR leaders and executives are are struggling with understanding the fact that talent is not what it used to be. The, the people are not who they used to be. The, the way that we think about talent is not the same anymore. And I think that is the big challenge that organizations are stuck with, um, and it's the big assumption that we've always had is that organ that people need to work at our organizations, right? I mean, we, we have a job, we're going to pay them. They need money. They need a job. They need to work for us. Right. And we're starting to see that that big assumption is not true. Uh, You can raise money on GoFundMe or Indiegogo. You can become an Uber driver. People are creating products and services on Etsy. You know, when you couple the fact that your, um, your income is now becoming more self-determined as opposed to being reliant on somebody else, yeah. And when you combine that with the fact that technology is making it easier for people to recruit you and poach you from one company to the next, you start to realize that the war for talent has never been more fierce than it is today. And in that type of environment, we have to shift from creating a place where people need to be there to creating one that where people want to be there. And that 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 shift from need to want, from utility to experience is I think where we are seeing the biggest um the biggest challenges, the biggest hurdles for organizations today.
1: And what are they doing to overcome those hurdles?
0: Well, quite honestly, in one word, change. Uh, yeah. you know, I just spoke with the CIO of Accenture today. Um, I've spoken with a lot of great organizations, Whirlpool, Cisco, LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, so what these organizations are doing to combat that is to actually change. They are redesigning their HR departments. They are um, thinking differently about what it means to be an employee. Uh, Companies like Cisco have something called the People Deal, where they uh, publicly state and share their commitments to employees. Uh, Organizations like Accenture have abolished their annual reviews and they've redesigned their HR function. Uh, Companies like T-Mobile have done the same thing, where they literally destroyed HR and built it from the top or from the bottom up. Uh, companies like LinkedIn have a hack HR, break HR hackathons. So all these organizations are a challenging convention. They're taking all these common ideas and associations and um, approaches to work, and they're saying, let's break all of that. And if we had to rebuild those things for the year that we live in, what would that look like? And okay. that is what the successful companies are doing.
1: That's pretty cool. Um can you give us a specific example? So one company that you work with, when they did away with annual reviews, what did they do instead or what is that you know, piece of their culture look like now?
0: Sure. So there are a couple of great stories about this. Uh, GE, Adobe, Accenture, all those organizations have abolished annual reviews in favor of real-time feedback. So uh, having regular check-ins with your managers, using technology, uh, your phone, your desktop, your laptop, etc. to provide feedback instantaneously instantaneously to employees. Um, But Cisco is a great example I like to use because for one year... They um, after they abolished their annual reviews for one year, they had nothing in place. So a full year, wow. 80,000 people.
1: <laughs> yeah. OK, take that in so, for a minute. Yeah, they're a big company. Yes.
0: Yeah, so the 80,000 people <clears throat> I just interviewed their chief people officer, Francine Katsutis, uh, uh, a week ago or so. And she said that after they made the decision, you know, they basically sent out an email to everybody and they said, look. Managers, you're still responsible for doling out your compensation, your bonuses, your rewards the way that you usually would. Use your best judgment. Okay. But you don't need to stack rank. You don't need to rank anybody. You're not going to fill out paperwork. You're not going to you know fill out any forms. None of that sort of stuff. Just you, be a person, have that human-to-human relationship with your uh, employees, and just be a person, and that's it. And so for a year, they didn't have anything in place to replace that annual review. It was just kind of like, talk to your people, understand your people and use your best judgment to do what you think is best.
1: Can I interrupt with a question real quick? Sure. Did the managers have any additional leadership training or it was just go forth and do?
0: No, there was a lot uh, and they're still in the process of doing a lot of this. Now, once they killed their review, um, there wasn't training like right that day. Got
1: it. I know that
0: they were in the process of creating education and training and and, and what, you know, what the future of all this is going to look like. They're in the process of rolling it out.
1: Okay, got it. All right. Continue. Sorry.
0: Well, no, so you know I think that's a great example of an organization that had nothing uh versus Accenture, which has three hundred seventy thousand plus people and within a eleven or twelve month period, they're in the process of completely rolling out a new system for hundreds of thousands of people, which I think will be up in the next few months so you know there there are a lot of things that organizations are uh doing companies like Whirlpool abolished any type of manager titles that they used to have there um so the, all sorts of creative things are starting to happen.
1: Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider
0: supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com.
1: And I assume that leadership training is emerging in a different way at this point, if we're, you know, doing one thing differently, you know, there, ergo, we have to do other things differently too. Is that the case that you've found?
0: Absolutely. I mean, the big, the big shift and the big idea uh, I think we're starting to see around management and leadership is that managers and leaders no longer sit at the top of the pyramid. They sit at the bottom uh, and everything is built on top of them. So in other words, the role of a manager, a leader of an executive today is to push other people up, not to uh, Mm. uh, have other people hold you up. So your job as a manager, as executive, as a leader uh, is to serve others, not to have them serve you. I mean, you are the coach, the mentor, the trainer, the supporter. And in fact, I think one of your measures of success should be on how successful you make other people. So if you have a lot of people that work for you, that get promoted, that stay at the company for a long time, that can become more successful than even you have become, then that is a good measure that you can be evaluated by as being a good leader.
1: That's. I think that's an excellent example. And Josh Wyatt was on the program a couple of months ago, and he said the same thing, that he gets the greatest success when he mentors somebody and they exceed his expectations and exceed what he does. So, yeah, I think that's a great definition.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. What would your ideal corporate culture look like?
0: Oh, man. So uh, I haven't worked for anybody in probably eight to 10 years. But if I had to design a corporate culture for an organization, or if I had to build my own company, uh, I define the employee experience as being a combination of three things, culture, physical space and technology. So I think another big mistake that organizations make is that they only focus on culture, and they ignore physical space, they ignore technology. And I'll give you an example. Okay, Uh, I went uh, a couple years ago, uh, a large organization called me in and they said, "Look, we want to uh, become very collaborative and we want to become transparent and yada yada yada, all these things that you talk about." And I said, "All right, fine." Uh, so I came to visit their offices, and these are there's hundreds of thousands of people working for this company, and I show up in in jeans, a collared shirt, a sport coat. You know, this is in the Bay Area. Yeah. And I'm I'm greeted by everybody wearing a suit and tie. Um, I'm led into a room where there are probably six to eight foot tall cubicles. Uh, Everybody's in a suit and tie. It's dead quiet. Nobody's talking. Now, in that type of environment, you might say, all right, well, we want to focus on culture. Well, um, I don't care what type of a corporate culture you try to change. But if you try to say that you want to become collaborative and communicative and fun and transparent... Meanwhile, people are using technology that looks like it's from the 80s or 90s. They have to commute (laughs) nine to five. Yeah. Um, They have a strict dress code. They sit in cubicles. Right. No amount of focusing on corporate culture is going to change that organization unless they consider the other factors at play here, which are the physical space, which are the tools that employees actually use. So while I think culture is great and it's important, I don't think you're going to get as far um, with designing employee experiences unless you also focus on the space that employees work in and mm-hmm. the tools that employees actually use to get their work done.
1: Yeah, definitely. When you're talking about the you know, six to eight foot cubicles, my collaboration and a big red X just went over it in my mind when you said that it would really not lead to that. And I know when I'm more relaxed, I'm more creative. So being in a suit and tie makes me feel a lot more formal and a lot more structured too.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, my big takeaway, what I always encourage organizations to do is, you know, don't focus on one of the three. Focus on three of the three. Culture, physical space and technology.
1: Very cool. If we can shift gears for a minute, I wanted to ask you about yourself personally. We kind of dig a little deep here on moving forward. So I wanted to begin with what's the hardest thing that's happened to you and what did you learn from that experience?
0: Oh man, hardest thing that wow. has happened to me, as, as my dogs are barking in the background. <laughs>
1: I have a dog too, um, no
0: worries. Hardest thing that has happened to me, um, well, you know, th- there have been a couple of uh, things over time. You know, starting starting a business and going off on your own is definitely hard. That, that's been yes. a very, very challenging thing for me. Um, thankfully, I've been doing that for around 8 to 10 years, so it's been a, a lot easier and a lot better for me. Um So I'd say that's probably very much at the top of the list. Um, Another hard thing for me is always trying to balance work with family. I know it's something that we all struggle with, but as somebody that travels a lot, um, I'm always trying to consciously be aware that I have a home. I have people here. (laughs) I, I don't live in an airplane. And so I don't want to be that person that travels 300 days a year that's never home. So that's always a, a tough challenge for me is making sure that I can stick to that.
1: Let me ask you about starting your business. What were some of the setbacks you faced or some of the specifics where you were like, oh, man, maybe it would be easier to sit in a cube for 10 hours a day?
0: Well, you know, I actually worked for other people before I went off on my own. And uh, that's when I realized that I would rather do anything than work for somebody else. So for me, that was uh, a very easy thing to do. Um, but big challenges are obviously, you know, money. I, I, how, do, yeah. how do I get clients to actually pay me? How do I build this? How do I scale this? Um, so that That's not easy, right? I mean, I I took jobs on Craigslist for a while. I did all sorts of weird odds and and, and projects uh, before doing what I'm doing now.
1: And how did you kind of find this niche? Is there something inside of you that, I mean, you mentioned connection and you talked about how you like people, but what about, you know, your community and, you know, working with uh, corporate cultures and forecasting the future of work specifically spoke
0: to you? Well... Having bad jobs working for other people, to be honest. I mean, that's ultimately where um, a lot of this started from. Because I had these bad jobs working for other people, I realized that um, clearly our concept and idea of the workplace is is different and it needs to change. So that's ultimately what led me to this concept of the future of work. It's obviously not something I went to school to study because there was no future of work uh, course. So I kind (laughs) of had to kind of had to invent it along the way. Absolutely. And I I credit these bad jobs working for other people as kind of what fueled and propelled me to go this direction.
1: Okay. Let me ask you specifically. There's been a lot of talk recently about women at work and the 77 cents on the dollar. What are your thoughts or what conversations have you had with corporations in order to combat that?
0: So around gender, gender equality, Mm -hmm. gender pay, stuff like that? Yeah. Well, there are a lot of interesting things happening. Uh, so I actually just went to a dinner that Salesforce posted, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, and they are making a very strong they effort. They
1: are. I read about, yes, that they reviewed every single salary.
0: Uh, yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. So I find that some organizations are going to those extremes. They're making those commitments. Uh, to having uh, an equal level uh, or equal number of male and uh, and female managers or executives. They're reevaluating all of their salaries, and they're trying to make that shift and that change. I don't by any means think that that is the standard, that that's common across every organization. In fact, I think there are very few companies that are going to those lengths to do that. But I always get comfort knowing that there are a couple of organizations out there like Salesforce um like uh companies like Cisco and LinkedIn that are that are actively thinking about that and are trying to make change and I think that's fantastic to see.
1: No, I agree. Um and I have to ask you too. So Dan Price and Gravity and raising the salary to $70,000 for everyone, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I did I can't remember if I did a podcast with him or not. Uh you know, I heard very mixed things. Uh okay. as you know, the the media reports on all sorts of different things and um there were Several articles that came out that he had issues and legal troubles, and other people said how wonderful it is, too. yeah, yeah, so you know as a, as an outsider it's very hard to say um i mean i don 't know the inner workings of that organization, but hey, I think that if you are an executive and the manager of an organization and you are able to do that and be okay with it, then by all means, i mean the the people are the lifeblood of your organization, and if that is something that you can do without making everybody upset. Um, (laughs) For me, what is more valuable is not simply just saying, let's pay everybody more money, but it's actually understanding what the people care about and what they value and giving that to them. Um, So I know some people were upset because they said, you know, we worked very hard to get that $70,000. Now everybody's making it. So a lot of the senior people there were more upset. So I would, you know, if that were me, I would just try to understand a little bit more about what my people care about, what they value, what they want, and I would try to give that to them instead of just making kind of a blanket, everybody's 70K.
1: Interesting. Okay. When do you feel the most free?
0: Oh, that's easy. Uh, working out or on the racquetball courts.
1: Racquetball. Okay. How long have you been doing that? Oh, yeah.
0: It's It's, uh, it's a dying sport, but I'm trying to hold it up. <laughs>
1: I did have uh, an image of the '80s flash through my mind when you said that. I have to. Yeah, <laughs> I, have to admit.
0: <laughs> I know. Everybody thinks of like the short shorts with totally. the funny goggles. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I don't wear those. I don't look like that, thankfully. So. Well, how'd you get into uh, it? Uh, so I've been playing that since college. I got into it because originally, when I went to the University of California, Santa Cruz, uh, I was double majoring, and at one point, I was taking 30 units. Uh, when. Wow. I- I think 12 or full-time or 12 or 15 is considered a yeah. full-time. And so I was playing ultimate. I was playing soccer. And I started to realize that I don't have any time for that anymore. So I needed a sport or something active that I could do at nighttime because during the day I was pretty much in class from morning to night. Okay. And so I looked around, you know, the UC Santa Cruz had, uh, I think, six racquetball courts. Uh, I could play there at night. And so I joined the racquetball team there and loved it ever since.
1: Very cool. I like that. Yeah. So what are you doing now that terrifies you, but you're doing it anyway?
0: Oh, that terrifies me. It's funny. My wife heard that question in the other room and she just went, ha. (laughs) Uh, So we we have a baby on the way in August. So that's Uh, a little scary. Um, we we just bought a house that, that we moved into. In fact, that I'm sitting, talking to you in a very unfinished house. Like we still have boxes and junk everywhere. um, so doing the baby and the house thing at the same time while trying to decrease travel and focus more on, on other things that um, can allow me to, to stay put, all that stuff is pretty tough. Um, so I'd say that's, that's what's on my mind lately.
1: Okay. And do you have any spiritual or meditative practices that keep you grounded, <laughs> balanced, focused that are allowing you to kind of shift the travel to telecommuting or anything such as that?
0: Oh, man. Yeah, you should talk to my wife. Uh, (laughs) She, uh, I'm sure she's laughing at this question now, too, even though I can't see her.
1: Tell her I got her Uh, back.
0: (laughs) She does a lot of meditation, and I try to do that with her once or twice a day for 10 minutes, although I'm not um, that consistent. For me, honestly, I'm in my Zen zone when I'm actually working or when I'm working out. So being active and stuff like that. So it's weird because I... My meditative state is almost like when I'm working.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so work keeps me working, if that makes sense. It's like a, a catch 20. It's a vicious cycle. Um, and when I am playing sports and when I'm working out, I'm kind of in my own little zone there, too. So that's that's like my form of meditation.
1: Yeah, I think and meditation does come in many many forms. I know a lot of people yeah. who live in San Diego that you know their meditation is they surf. So because you have to yeah, be exactly. very present and singularly focused and being in motion and in action, that will really help you know change the the brain waves and and yeah get you where you need to be.
0: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. One final question: How would listeners learn more about your work and connect with you? Are you available on social media?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm uh, fairly easy to find. Uh, You can either just Google Jacob Morgan and that'll take you to my website. Uh, My my personal website is thefutureorganization.com. You can visit fowcommunity.com to learn about the future of work community. And of course, I'm on Twitter at Jacob M. And people are always more than welcome to email me, jacob at thefutureorganization.com.
1: Very good. And all of this will be on our website listeners. Jacob, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
1: And listeners, thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Jacob or any of our guests, please go to bemovingforward.com. That's bemovingforward.com. I'm Kristen Epper. Thank you. And Satnam.
0: Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and bemovingforward.com. All rights reserved.